0: Welcome back to the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at B Beedratty. Beedratty's got some of the best assortment of golf clothes on the market. They are our favorite brand, and we have some polos of theirs in our pro shop. One of my favorites, what I'm wearing actually right now, is the Tommy Polo. It is a classic but bold stripe polo and of course it's made from that soft peruvian cotton that be is known for with the it's soft but it's got a little bit of stretch so it's low maintenance easy to wash easy to wear it's very versatile you can wear it on off the golf course and it's got a fried egg logo on it so if you want to support us and be a uh a company that we really respect and and uh Think they're a great part of the golf world. Visit our pro shop, thefriedegg.com. Click the pro shop in the top corner and uh, get yourself a new polo with the egg logo right on the pocket. Today's episode is with Walker Cup captain Nathaniel Crosby. Nathaniel was the captain in 2019 when the US won the uh, Walker Cup, and he will be the captain in 2021 at Seminole, where he's a member. So We quickly talk about uh, the match that was there, the Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler, uh, Matthew Wolf match. And then we dive into some of his playing career on the European tour, and then uh, we talk about the 2021 Walker Cup. I'm just thinking about that era and, and, you know, you had Adams, um, you guys at Orlamar and then not too, too far later you had Sonar tech all kind of come in and become this in vogue must have fairway wood. Was there something about fairway woods that allowed for entry easier than any other point with, uh, with golf clubs?
1: Well, um, I give you a very, I'll give you a, another quick one of my golf manufacturing experience, which has now been <laughs> been suspended for 15 or so years because I haven't been in the business for almost 20 years now, but I do follow it. Um, the The history of the tour count by storekeeping unit is the same percentage, is a mere percentage of the market share. So when Ping started to dominate, on the PGA tour and they had 60% of the players or 45% of the players or whatever it was and uh, used ping putters. The market share was exactly the same. Titleist golf ball since the fifties, right? It's the counts, the market share. And uh, you know, is this, is the same as the counts, <laughs> you know, 70% of the touring pros, it's the same deal all the way through all the way to fairway woods. And we had the, we outsold Callaway uh, by storekeeping unit. We didn't outsell them by brand, but we outsold Callaway by, you know, they, if you're talking about the Tri Metal versus Callaway, you know, any one storekeeping unit of Callaway that was a fairway Wood, we outsold them um, because they, uh, in 1998 and 9. Um, so, you know, I think the big thing. Uh, what we did as a category is, is Adams really came out first, but they didn't commit to the PGA Tour. And um, they had a few guys on the senior tour playing it, but they created that shallow wood. And my whole feeling about, you know, any product is if it's different and it's a better uh, and it's a better product for a significant part of the market. Doesn't have to be all the market. Could be thirty percent of the market, could be forty percent of the market. But if it's a better product for part of the market that's significant enough, then you can really capture some market share. And the shallow face woods were, you know, people were hitting them further because you could have lower loft and get them in the air. So instead of a fifteen degree three wood, you were hitting a thirteen degree three wood. Uh, or a you know, instead of a four wood at, at 19 degrees, you're in a 17 degree four wood. So you're just hitting it further, but it did have some negatives and, um, people topped them. If they tried to swing up on them, mm-hmm. they had to kind of hit them like an iron. And, uh, you know, I always used to present it by saying it was a vertical margin of error that wasn't as great as a deeper, you know, the vertical margin error wasn't as good. So if you, if you chop down on it in the rough, you'd you know you'd fluff it you'd hit right under it uh but you could hit it out of kind of nasty you know if in the short rough you could hit you could bomb it out of the short rough. oh yeah uh, those things you know, went and, so and far you had, yeah you just had to keep it i mean i i was a different player you know, i was 35 or 38 years old then i could still had a reasonable back but i i remember hitting that uh you know, that 11 degree, I could hit that 255 or 60 yards and off the ground. And that was just a game changer for me. And, you know, the 13 degree was, you know, maybe 10 yards less. But, you know, you could get an 11 degree fairway wood up in the air and you could have it, you know, you could hold par fives with it. And for the average play, you know, I was like playing with my partner, at the Cravens, my, uh, Nevada, my uh, Orlamar co-chairman at Dolanar at the Cravens. And I was looking at him trying to use a pretty average player, about a 10 or 12 handicap. And I was like, man, am I glad he's using that on Orlamar tri-metal as opposed to a traditional because just an awkward lie or a a thin lie, you could still nail those Orlamars. And, um, you know, it's just, uh, the golf manufacturing business is a hard business. And I just felt like you know I grew two companies and missed the ring on both of them, Uh, so I'm still pissed, you know, (laughs) because I succeeded in a really hard category and really didn't get the windfall because uh, you know I think Orlemar we went from 115 million in '99 and lost control of the company and I was stayed on the board for another year and a half and just couldn't handle the direction. They were trying to under-promise and over-deliver.
0: Young companies are just a crazy uh, atmosphere, and there's so much stuff that goes on. And, and I think you alluded to here the line was so thin. Um, you know, talking getting talking some golf. I mean, we, we got to see our first lo- live golf yesterday. Uh, did you, I assume you tuned in to, to Seminole, where we're going to be having a Walker Cup next year. What, do, what were your thoughts on yesterday's match?
1: I just thought it was fantastic, um, you know, the to see Seminole on TV and you know the drone videos were just you made made the course look so beautiful, exquisite, and um, you know I I love the mystery of Seminole, I love the the fact that I'm uh, mixed in with a bunch of old other retired champions, and uh, we're mixed in with these masters of the universe that have, you know, uh, really you know titans of industry and. We all get along great. It's a great chemistry that really Barry Van Gerwig, The, you know, I think there had been a little bit of that before, but um, Barry Van Gervig really ushered in the old retired champions to mix in. Billy Joe Patton, I think, was a member here and, um, you know, a former uh, Walker Cupper but in uh, captain, I think. And, and uh, we had so many, uh, but it, it was just a little bit and Mick and, uh, Barry Van Gervig really, uh, allowed me to be a part of the club and, you know, uh, ushered in Downing Gray and Vinnie Giles and, uh, Spider Miller, Mike McCoy, uh, you know, Buddy Marucci just goes on and on. Um, I know I'm going to leave out some, but, you know, Gene Elliott now is, you know, great amateur golfer, um, and we all have a we all have a blast together. We all love playing. Dick Sideroff's one of my best buddies. Um, I have I love to handpick old crotchety guys, so I love Dick Sideroff to death, who won the British Amateur a couple of times, and uh, I think he played in ten or twelve Masters. So um, we have a blast together there. And uh, you know, Dick will be playing with Ken Gone or you know, you go out there and you you know get paired with. Uh, you know, Tom Ryan or, or or Ed Hurley or Jimmy Dunn or all these guys that are absolute champions of industry.
0: Yeah, it's uh, obviously I an mean, incredible place. How did you feel the course held, held up? I know there's a lot of people, I think most of the uh, most of the pros that have played there knew that it wasn't a pushover, but, you know, I saw some pundits were saying that it, it might be, you know, it might get eaten alive, but, you know, even with the rain, it seemed like it held up pretty well.
1: Well, I think um, uh, it really held up well in how uh, the Seminole uh, greenskeeper really did a great uh, job. But, you know, when it rained three inches in the two days before and collectively three inches in the two days prior, that, uh, the firmness of the greens in the wind is really the number one defense on that golf course because the greens, you know, slope to the sides. And if you work your ball with the wind at all, the ball will roll 80 feet across the green and go into the water. So you really have to bank your ball against the wind. You got a right to left wind. You better fade it. You have a left to right wind. You better draw it. And, uh, you better have that ball coming down, hitting the green when it lands straight, you know, it can't, it can't be coming in on an angle or it just rolls out. And, um, I think that that was missing a little bit yesterday because the greens were so soft and um, you know, the course was, the fairways were soft, so they weren't running. There's just nothing that could be done about that. You can't get out there with a blow dryer, you know? So, um, but I think, I think the targets are so hard to hit. And I think the course held up pretty darn well considering, I think it would have been um, perhaps more uh, intriguing if, it, if the, wind was blowing and the front greens were firm.
0: What, what you were talking about there with the banking and do you feel, you know, obviously Ben Hogan's famous for talking about it. If you can play Seminole, you can play anywhere. Is that the essence of Seminole that you think he was talking about where the idea of you having to be able to control your trajectory in so many different ways to find the greens.
1: I think then it was a longer course um, for, you know, for Ben Hogan, but it was also a much firmer fairway. The fairways were firmer from what I understand. Um, you know, depending on the time of the year, when Claude Harmon shot a 60, I only know about this, you know, Tony Penna said that they had a drought that year and it was a pitch and putt course. You know? <laughs> so, and, uh, Craig Harmon used to, or Claude Harmon used to say, yeah, yeah. He says, they talk about my 60 all the time, but they don't tell, then I shot 63 the next day. Wow! <laughs> so he shot he shot 123 in two days, and I know about it because I used to spend countless hours with Tony Penna, who was playing with him. But um, I think uh, you know when Barry Van Gerwijk took over, he made a, a strategic, you know, a philosophical difference with the course. I think the ball was going further. This was in the early nineties. You know, it really wasn't, didn't take the big jump until the pro VX and the, well, whatever that was, 2004 or five, when the pro VX came out, and it, but the guys are getting bigger, everybody's getting stronger. So it's impossible to lengthen the course more than they really have on a whole a like 14 is really a par four for those guys. Um, 15 is really a par four for those guys. Uh, although they can move the tees back a little bit, it's still a par four for the most part. A hard one, but still, you know, 14 and 15 are pretty easy par fives for those guys. Um, you know, the seventh hole, which is a long hole for the members, is you know those guys were hitting it right to the lake. You know, they're were you know they were flipping it to the lake because there's nowhere that they can move the tee back. But when Barry Van Gerwen came in, he you know the greens were always soft. And I enjoyed the greens being soft because you could you could shoot at a corner pin placement and, you know, you could get results. But the course now, uh, especially with the bunkering, uh, the fairway bunkering, when Corr and Crenshaw came in, they put lifts on those bunkers. The bunkers were very benign. The fairway bunkers were benign. The greenside bunkers have always been monsters, but the fairway, bu- the fairway bunkers were very benign. You hit it in a fairway bunker. It wasn't a big deal. And the ball would roll through the fairway bunker if you hit it at the fairway bunker with enough strength. Now the ball just hits the lip of the bunker and stays, not only stays in it, chances are it'll half bury under the lip. So, um, you know, I think that the, the greens being firm and fast as opposed to, you know, a couple of points slower and soft, which was what it was during the. Uh, Coleman era and the Alan Ryan era, um, you know, have made the actual green sizes about half of what they used to be. The green sizes are the same, but because they're firm and fast, you know, they're rolling at 12 or whatever during tournaments and they're firm. So the, the targets are literally half of what they used to be. And you better hit the ball against the wind curve it you have to curve it against the wind and you, you really can't you really can't shoot at too many pins
0: yeah um so i got to ask you after you uh you won the USAM in 81 and and you uh you played you played professional golf for a little while and uh you were on the European tour in the mid 80s and i i just would love to hear i mean such a drastically different tour then than what you know professional golf is now if you had any Any stories from the road
1: there? Well, I got a lot of stories, (laughs) but um, I got some great stories. But you know, I I went through the tour school over there. I missed it over here, and my first year wasn't too bad. I was eighty seventh on the money list, and um, had a good chance to win the last tournament, which was the Portuguese Open, where I was tied with Seve with uh, five holes to play, and he made a double bogey. I made a bogey, and Warren Humphreys won his only tournament in 20 years on the European Tour. Who's now the uh, he's now, I believe, uh, on the Golf Channel uh, for uh, for the European Tour. But at any rate, um, you know, I had plentiful stories. But the the overview is that I was 87th on the money list my first year. You know, 115th, I think, the second year, and 155th the third. So as they say on Wall Street, I was negative trending. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, I got I got some great friends. All, all the guys that are on the TV were all my big buddies. Robert Lee, um, you know, uh, Mark Rowe, Tony Johnston, Richard Boxall. These guys are all on the European TV for the Gulf Channel. And uh, I just had a blast making European friends and um you know christy o'connor jr all the irish guys were great friends of mine um and um you know i think uh jaime gonzalez the brazilian was uh one of my very good friends and he uh he's uh, he's buying a bottle of perfume uh he was a a lifelong i believe bachelor and he was then about 29 years old and i'm 24 or 5 and and uh I see him buying a bottle of perfume in the in the duty free in Paris and I was like, Jaime, who are you buying that bottle of perfume for? And Jaime says to me, he says, Nathaniel, you know, I buy this bottle of perfume for a girl I have yet to meet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh the other funny story is uh John Bland, the old crusty one of my favorite people in the world, he's crusty old dude who was really a talented player. I mean, he could really play, South African. And I'd play practice rounds with him once in a while. He was probably about 39 or 40, and I was 24 or 5. And I showed up one day to the practice screen uh, before our practice round. And he's putting, and he looks up and sees me and greets me, and he says, Nathaniel, he says, Good to see you, my boy. I'm looking forward to today. He says, "I, I wondered... I wondered what you. I bought theater tickets for you for Saturday and Sunday because I know you won't be making the <laughs> <laughs> well, So, a little psychological it, it was, warfare. Those guys, oh, those guys would definitely take the piss out of you. They were so much fun. But you know, Sevy was. I got to know Sevy, Played with him in the British Open at Troon in '82, and uh, you know, we had the stars. If you remember, we had. When I played over there, I got paired. Sorry about the background there. Um, the, uh, we had Seve as number one player in the world. We had um, Langer one year as number one player in the world. And uh, Saldo, Lyle, Woosnam No, oh, me really hung up. Okay. Uh, and I played with Elizabeth after his rookie year was my second. And because I played well my first year, or I was probably second or third out of the tour school in the highest, you know, as far as the money list. And um, uh, they paired me with Elizabeth five times, I think. So I played 10 rounds of golf with him in 86. Um, you know, so I paired with him a bunch. Colin Montgomery, I played with him in his first round as a pro at uh, Hogs Castle in Scotland at the Scottish Open. Um we had a bunch of guys and the guys that people didn't know that could really play. I mean, all those Spaniards could really I mean Canizares and uh you know Pinero, uh I'm trying to think of uh the Rivero could really play and, and the Irish guys with Damon Darcy and Des, Des Smith almost won the British Open at forty nine years old people don't know but Mark McNulty and these guys could really play and nobody really knew them, but we really had the stars. And then uh, they were only giving three spots on the European tour to the masters. And that was a big fine um, because then they opened it up at the expense of the amateurs. They, the masters really opened it up in about 1988, I think. And right away, I mean, look at all the Europeans that have won the masters. It's just amazing.
0: It it was the era where all the star power, because the OWGR came out um, right around then, and, and there wasn't an American that got to number one until Couples did in in ninety three. You know, all, all the all the star power was international at that point.
1: Oh, Greg Norman was playing over there too. Yeah, I mean, Greg would split his Greg split his time between the two tours, but he was a European tour member.
0: Nick Price and, too. Um,
1: you know, so yeah, so so. Greg was, you know, when I was 87th on the money list, I was behind all those guys. So I didn't feel like I did too bad, but I, uh, you know what? I just, I think looking back as a player, I did pretty well as an amateur other than the amateur too. I was third ranked. I mean, golf, I just ranked 10 players. So I was number three and in, in 81 and number three in 82. Um, and then I didn't end on a high note. Um, you know I didn't play great I didn't really play any tournaments before I turned pro tried to play the amateur one last time but um in 84 but didn't really end on a high note and then um I think looking back I don't have any misgivings about retiring too soon or quitting at 26 or seven years old whatever I was I think it was 20 just turned 27 but uh 26 I think I just turned 26 and you know, the, the thing about it is, is I recognized it was just going to be a hard career. It was going to be, I could have maybe stayed out there and got my tour card and played well. But, you know, I think when you look at these guys, they're just, some guys are better athletes than others. And I had, I was lucky enough to have dinner with Tom Weisskopf in December. And I told him this, I said, you know, you're a 0.001% athlete right? and I'm a probably a top three or 4% athlete. You know, I'm a good athlete, but, you know, to be a top, you know, you're not having fun unless you're in the top 30 or 50. And back then you had to be in the top 30 or 50 to be making any kind of a living. And uh, I just think that there's so many good athletes then and now. And these guys that, you know, were athletic, I mean, you know, the athleticism is underrated, I think. I think these guys are just such good athletes. Cause you see so many different types of swings. even my Walker cup players, my Walker cup players. I'm going through, I'm building a, a picture book for the guys right now. And a lot of action, I hired Brian Morgan, the Scottish photographer, and he took 2000 images. So this thing is a marathon to put together. But uh, you know, the guys swing so differently, Cole hammer swings so differently than Stephen Fisk and Isaiah Selinda and Brandon Wu, and they all swing so differently. They're all low through the ball, you know, in the same thing on the, you know, look at the leading guys on the PGA, look at yesterday. I mean, Matt Wolf, and when they uh, dissected, uh, you know, Ricky Fowler's flat, you know, he's got a flat swing that's slightly laid off. And, you know, then you got uh, Rory that's got a picture perfect form. And, you know, it's, they're all so different. Uh, you know, Dustin Johnson so shut and, you know, how can it be? But it's just like, I'll bet you Dustin Johnson could have played baseball. I bet Rory could have played baseball. I bet they could have, you know, Dustin Johnson could have played basketball. Sure. You know, and and Matt Wolf, these guys are total athletes.
0: And that's a, it's an interesting thing. I I was going to ask you what you thought, you know, the difference between someone like you and, and I don't think many people would, Look at Colin Montgomery and scream athlete, but there is tremendous athletic ability required to hit a golf ball as consistently and to generate the speed.
1: I mean, he really had the last extremely upright swing, you know. Um, but I, I would bet you there's some athleticism in his genes, mm-hmm. you know, because that's a different swing too. And it's just, it's how easy the game is. You know, how easy is it for somebody to repeat their swing and you know when you're you know when jack nicholas describes his one iron that he hit on the 17th hole in the u.s open in 1972 you know i he felt like he was a little shut and he you know at the top of the swing and he made an adjustment you gotta i mean are you kidding me (laughs) make an adjustment on a 235 yard shot you know, when you're leading the U S open and you hit hit the pin with a, with a one iron, you know, that's incredible instinct, incredible athleticism uh, to be able to do that. Whether you, you know, whatever you do archer, you know, whatever his adjustment was, he arched his back more, he, you know, stayed down the line more, whatever his adjustment was, you know, was his secret. But, Um, you know, and then you look at, you know, Hogan did it with technique because Tony Pena used to tell me that he really wasn't that great a player until he changed his, he used to swing long and have a, he used to fight a bad hook. And then he changed his grip to where he he knew he could never hook the ball. So he did it with technique, but under underneath it all, he was a good, you know, he's a beautiful athlete, you know? So, you know, I think that obviously chipping and putting and nerve has a lot to do with it as well um and that has a lot to do with confidence but boy uh sure looks like a lot of golf holes are easier for dustin johnson than a lot of other people you know and he can bomb it that way and this guy matt wolf is the same i was lucky enough to have him in my practice squad last year uh, or a year and a half ago where he played seminole we played seminole uh um twice and then played Macarthur twice or medalist Macarthur, and then bear club twice so i had him for six rounds and you know this guy is totally the real deal he is at 330 and uh as you saw yesterday he's a bomber and he knows he knows his golf swing he's great he's gonna win a lot
0: yeah you had kyle marikawa in that also right I haven't watched
1: Colin Morikawa because I knew that he was going to turn pro before okay. my. I, so I, I might have seen him at the U.S. Uh, amateur, uh, a few holes. When I, I'm trying to think of who he played, but I, 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 I missed Justin Sue and Colin Morikawa, who declined the practice squad thing because he was still, he knew he was going to turn pro after the NC2A, and Matt Wolfe and a couple of other guys were still considering uh, playing the Walker Cup. What took the practice squad matches.
0: Was there, uh, was there anybody else that, you know, that obviously playing a Walker Cup, you're extraordinarily talented and even be considered. Was there any, any of the other guy that just like wowed you, like in the sense of Wolf where, where you knew he was good, but you didn't know he was that good?
1: I, um, I got to say that all of all 10 of the players that were on the team, um, were, there was no favorite. It was, uh, you know, my whole, you know, I didn't say, you know, even, you know, just theoretically, I kind of said, you know, Andy, uh, Ogletree and John Augustine had just gotten to the finals in the U S amateur two weeks earlier, three weeks earlier. So kind of figured you got to play those guys four times and they have the hot hand. You know, Cole Hammer uh, was number one ranked player in the world and Stephen Fisk had won nine college tournaments, I think including six that year, and finished second in the NCAAs. So I paired those guys together and made sure that they played in both the singles matches. Uh, You know, I think Akshay Batia probably has the best. Uh, raw talent of any player I've ever seen. I mean, the guy's got a wingspan that's just amazing. And he being 17 and Stuart Hagestad being the only mid-amateur, I kind of thought that that was a good fit. And, uh, you know, I think the the other guys, John Pock and Celinda, were getting along great. But I, I think Brandon Wu and Smalley and Isaiah, and uh, they're all, I think they're all destined to do very well. And I think you know, Stuart Haggestad, by the way, choosing an amateur path, I think this guy, because he's going to have 15 or more shots of winning a U.S. amateur, I think he's got a very good chance of winning multiple U.S. amateurs. And I'll bet you, I'd be surprised if he doesn't win four or five mid-amateurs, because he is that good. And, um, you know, it's... Uh, it's, he's he's really impressive. He got to the quarters, I think, of the U.S. Amateur last year, and uh, you know. But he, he, got, he really got barred, is just uh,
0: Pebble too.
1: Um, Pebble is the one I was thinking yeah. of, not last year.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, Pebble. He got to the quarters, and uh, uh, that's the one that I was thinking of. Uh, but he, you know, he literally is disappointed when he loses, and you know, it's been a bad week for him to get to the semifinals of the mid amateur. You know, I mean, it's a bad week for him. He's pissed. You know, he wants to do, he wants to restart the week when he gets to the semifinals where basically anybody else who's a mid amateur would take, you know, being a mid you know, getting to the semifinals at the beginning of the week. So he's, he is heads and shoulders to me. Uh, you know, there's Scott Harvey and Matt Parzali and uh, Parziali and and others to be sure. Um, uh, and I haven't followed or studied the mid-ams quite as well, but I'll tell you one thing, Stuart Hagestad is not a, a oh boy, we have to take a mid amateur Uh, he doesn't, you know, there's, there's no, um, he is he's a great, uh, presence. And he really was a great, uh, chaperone as well for, for, uh, you know, the wild, the wild child, which there were some on our team. And he was a great chaperone for, uh, Akshay, and uh, you know, but but I loved I loved each and every one of them. It was just a blast, and you know, it would be hard for me to pick one. Uh, I was really impressed with Andy Ogletree, and of course John Augustine. I mean, these guys are they're all top notch. But uh, just looking at the images, their their form and their technique is just amazing. It uh, and I, I think they're all going to go a long ways. I think it's hard to get on tour that, you know, they've got so many wrinkles now and you've got a bottleneck with this coronavirus, you know, and, uh, you know, to get on the PGA Tour because, you got you know, the guys, they got to be fair to the guys that got through the Corn Ferry last year and, um, you know, there's going to be a bottleneck trying to get on the PGA Tour. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the PGA Tour does and how they adjust their, um, you know, the eligibility factor on how you, you know, how many guys can be on the tour and the tournaments and, you know, what's going to happen with the corn ferry and uh, the upcoming qualifying for the following year.
0: So approaching being the Walker cup captain uh, for a second year. So you, you know, obviously you were last year um, and then you're for 2021. Are you, are you approaching it any differently than you did the first time? Is there anything that you, you learned from?
1: Well, this last one I've been able to you know, I was able to look at the Scout the Guys for two summers and I generally started it at the N C two A's. I I didn't really uh interrupt my life enough to, you know, travel to college tournaments that were regional in nature. So I did the I started my touring at the N C two A's and then tried to go in a time warp to the old tournaments that I used to play in, like the Porter Cup and the Transmiss and the um, Western amateur uh, and so forth. So it was kind of like a time warp for me, but um, you know, this year, a lot of the tournaments been canceled. Uh, the Walker cup is in may. So I'll only have this summer to really scout the players. nc two A's has been canceled. Mm-hmm. And next year's NC two A is after is after the, uh, the Walker cup so two weeks after. So um it'll be a much more abbreviated scouting deal but i i that was one of the funnest parts about it for me uh was scouting the players and getting to know their families um i think uh i got to see like Ricky Castillo play and he can um, play huh uh, uh, yeah a few of the other a few of the other players that would be considered because of their you know junior careers uh so Ricky Castillo to me is you know, his last summer, his successes last summer, I believe, are going to count. Um, and, you know, he was freshman of the year. You know, it'll be interesting to see if some of the guys that were on my team the last time uh, choose to, you know, another year of college golf. Because if they choose to play another year of college golf because of the bottleneck, you know, it keeps you know it doesn't allow them to have cash. They won't have cash, but they uh, play another year of college golf. And then they can, you know, that would be John Pock who's a senior at Florida state and Andy at Georgia tech and yeah. and, and of course, John Augustine at uh, Vanderbilt. So, you know, I, I was, um, if anything, I was a little disappointed that Akshay, Batia turned pro. Um, I just, I, I think that he is an incredible, incredible talent. I, A lot of the European guys have done that. They turned pro at 17. Um, I don't think it was a financial – it might have been a financial decision, but I don't think it was a financial necessity. But I don't know that enough. I don't know enough. But, you know, I kind of wish that he had won 15, 20 college tournaments, which was inevitable for this guy, and had gotten the, the college life experience and enjoyed, you know, the maturity that that brings and that part of your life. Um, so I was, you know, he kind of got thrown he through himself in the deep end right away. And, you know, things are different when you don't, when you're not the center of attention, right? When he when he showed up at junior tournaments, he was definitely the center of attention. And I watched him win the Taylor made Rolex uh, junior at PGA by about seven or eight shots. And, um, you know, I've never seen anybody make so many putts. It was amazing. But uh, he's a great, great kid. Great
0: golf becomes so much tougher when it's uh, when it's your job too. You know,
1: I I, I don't know about that. I think you, you know, I, I you know, the thing about golf is that when you show up on the range and you look down the range and you know you're better than 99 percent of the people there, and the the other guy who's on the range can only beat you one in three times. You don't worry about a double bogey when you make it. <laughs> you know It's like, you know, you make a double bogey, it's like, oh, no big deal. I'm going to come back with three birdies. When you are in the Masters and you make a double bogey, you're like, holy shit, I hope I don't make another one. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's just a different metal deal. When you're looking down the range and you see guys that you're not sure you can beat, um, day in and day out. It's just a different... It's harder to play your own game. I guess that's the easiest way of saying it.
0: Back to Ricky Castillo. I, I, I can't... A good buddy of mine plays the Western AM every year, and I came for him. And he, a few years ago, I'll never forget it, was at Skokie, and he's paired with this Ricky Castillo, who I think at the time was 15. And we, we were about 12 holes in. And I turned to my buddy. I'm just like, holy shit, this kid could play. And he, he, I mean, he shot like the most effortless sixty-seven or sixty-six that day, and I I, I just couldn't. And I've been following him ever since, and it's just it's not surprising to see him on such an upward trajectory.
1: Well, speaking, of, that's where I I saw him at the Western last year at Butler National, and uh, he played that guy Eric Bay, Eric in the quarters, I think, um, and he. I think he was par in. He No, he shot 63 and won on the last. So he won one up. These guys kind of shot 63 and 65 on. On. Um, you know whatever. I think the the other player I'm watching, of course, is Davis Thompson, and um, from Georgia. I saw him. He lost to Akshay in the rain delay at the Jones Cup, but he played fantastic at the Western last year. So I've gotten to see these guys. I got Tagalia, uh, who's going to be highly. He's highly ranked, and Thagalia had a great year at Pepperdine, and I saw him play at uh, the Western last year, and also at the U.S. Amateur at Pebble. So I've seen a lot of these guys: um, Pearson Cootie, I've seen a bunch; William Mount, I've seen a little bit. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not unfamiliar with um, Quade Cummins. I saw at the Western. And he looks fantastic as well. Um, I, miss, I miss seeing him win the Pacific Coast. But um, but at any rate, so most of the guys that are highly ranked, uh, Trent Phillips is down there too. I've seen him. I haven't seen a few of the others. Uh, Thorberson, um, uh I saw at the at Pebble Beach last year at the at the Open. So you know, I've gotten I've gotten familiar with a bunch of these guys that are currently being considered um Cannon Clay could have uh, watched I think he finished second to Akshay in uh, at that Rolex uh, Junior but at any rate I'll I'll hopefully get to see you know four or five tournaments this summer I'm hoping to go to the Transmiss, hoping to go to um, definitely be going to the U.S. Amateur at and Dunes and hopefully the Porter Cup uh, if they don't cancel these events so uh, I know they've canceled the Pacific Coast already, so um, it'll it'll be interesting to see if these guys uh, scrub out. Sunny Hannah will go to as well. Uh, I believe they postponed it, but haven't canceled it. So,
0: hopefully, uh, North,
1: northeast. Yeah, northeastern unfortunately got canceled. I was looking forward to going up there.
0: Yeah. Hopefully they'll, they'll get some of them in. So you get, you know, cause obviously college golf is in question, uh, next year. So last question, you've been more than, uh, generous with your time. and I don't want to take too much up. I, I got to ask about, uh, you know, how, what it was like growing up in the same neck of the woods as Bobby Clampett as a junior and amateur golfer.
1: He was about a year or two older than me, but, we got paired in the U S junior qualifying and uh, at Stanford and Sharon Heights. And uh, you know, so, and then we got paired together at Pacific coast junior. So we got paired more than a few times. And uh, I think he was 17 and I was 15 that one summer. And I won a bunch of junior tournaments for my age, but was always losing to Bobby uh, for the overall, you know, so but he was great. And then we played a College golf. Um, He was at Brigham Young for a little bit, and uh, you know he went to Robert Lewis Stevenson High School uh, before he went to Brigham Young. But he was definitely the player. I was playing in that British Open at um, Troon Troon, that he could have won. But you know he he uh, he really had it going on, and he had that golf machine thing down perfectly. And was working with Ben Doyle for a long time, and something happened there, Uh, is my understanding. Something happened with him and Ben Doyle, and and, uh, he kind of lost his teacher. Um, And then he tried to change his swing, but boy... I, I gotta say, everybody thought he was the next, you know, Jack Nicholas, Tom Watson, whomever. You know, he was going to be the next great player.
0: How how would you say, like, from an amateur, uh, you know, from an amateur resume, how he compared with some of the other greats that you've seen?
1: Well, I think it's it's interesting. He won the Spalding tournament as an amateur, uh, which was a not a officially recognized tour event, but that was pretty impressive for a 21 year old amateur to do that. But then you look at Scott Verplank, you know, Scott Verplank won the Western amateur, okay. (laughs) Won the Western open. I mean, he won the Western open as an amateur. And, you know, I think Mickelson did it at Tucson, right? Yeah. But
0: Verplank won the, you know, I don't know
1: that it Uh, shoot. Scott Verplank won everything twice.
0: Yeah.
1: He won the, you know, I mean, if you look at Scott Verplank's record, I, I I don't have uh, I don't have it in front of me, but he won the Porter Cup. He won the Western. He won the Western. I mean, he won the Western Amateur and Open. He won. He won them. He won them all. And uh, you know that's I I kind of overlapped. He was a little bit younger than me, but uh, you know we I, I got a lot of time with Hal Sutton. Got a lot of time with Mark O'Mara. Um, you know Corey Pavin was my age. Uh, so we had a pretty good crop. I mean, I was Scott Hoke, you know, Hal and Scott Hoke were a little bit ahead of me. But I I got invited to all these tournaments when I was 17 and 18. So I I got, uh, you know, John Cook and I got the class ahead of me because I was getting invited to these tournaments really young. Yeah, I, I played well in the junior. I was medalist in the junior. So I got, I, it kind of justified the invites to these tournaments, I was getting a lot of exposure from my dad's thing. So I, I didn't, I was kind of cluttering up the field, finishing in the middle of the pack. And then, and then I started to, I, I played well in college, my freshman year and one and, you know, but, um, uh, and then, uh, you know, quarterfinals, this transmiss and uh, North and South, same thing. And semifinals in the Broadmoor. So I was kind of hanging around, but yeah, you know, I was, but I was, uh, you know, I hadn't won anything big before the U.S. Amateur. But, uh, but at any rate, it was, uh, it was great to, um, you know, to get around all of those guys, and and uh, we had a great crop of players for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's just always so fascinating to watch, you know, amateur and which which ones turn into, you know, great professionals and it's just such a fine line and so tricky you know the difference between a few major wins and a few tour wins is so great but not really that big when you when you look at it when when you think about it
1: you know it's just uh when you look at you know greg norman having two majors (laughs) it's just you know, I mean, I mean, there's some guys that just look so much better than others. And, you know, you kind of see it on the back of the range when you're watching people hit balls. But, and that's the, that's the thing that Akshay is going to have to go through, is like everybody hits it as good or better than he does. <laughs> it has never happened to him before. He's never been in that kind of an environment, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, um, boy, does that, that kid certainly has a wingspan. It's a fine line for sure. But um, the guys that are a little bit better than everybody else, you know, they understand it and they know it. And that's why they go in week in and week out and perform. And it's easier for the guys that know it to play their own games. And the guys that are, you know, you know, I mean, Tom Lehman didn't really start breaking through until he was 30, 31. Right.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Hogan, Hogan was on this. Hogan could have given up. I mean, if he doesn't, you know, make the paycheck in Oakland, you know, he quits and, you know, his whole career wouldn't have unfolded if he doesn't make that paycheck in Oakland. Right. So it's, it's amazing. Hogan didn't win a major until he was 35. So it's amazing how the success happens and when it happens and for what reason, but stable lifestyle is a, is a big part of it as well as the athleticism and the nerves being the third.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's uh it, it it requires all facets to be truly great. But I I really appreciate the time Nathaniel and uh look forward to uh, hopefully seeing you out at an amateur tournament this summer. Hopefully that uh some of these happen and uh it'll be fun to watch uh you know maybe have you back on to talk before the uh next year's Walker Cup. Fantastic. All
1: right, look forward to it.